This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c So what I really want to work on with parents and caregivers today is this understanding that we need to turn back the clock on play and we need to look back at play when we were children and especially when our parents were children. What did play look like in those households? Was the parent actively sitting down playing with the child all day long or were they getting other things done, letting the children play, letting the children have their space? Welcome to this week's episode where I am welcoming One of my favorite Instagram accounts, Susie Allison, who is a former teacher, the founder and creator of Busy Toddler, the author of Busy Toddler's Guide to Actual Parenting, and is in charge of selling and organizing a famous preschool at home called Playing Preschool, where you can purchase this on her website and through her Instagram. We are talking all about the misconceptions about playtime and child development And I am so excited to welcome her because she is one of my favorite accounts on social. Thank you for joining me today, Susie. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. This has been such a long time coming and I'm just tickled to be here today. I love it. I am so excited too. Again, we've been trying to make this happen. Busy schedules. You are also a mother. I didn't even mention that, but people should know you. (laughs) If they don't know you already, you're going to learn about her, everybody listening. Um, But yes, you are a mother. You are now getting your master's, correct? Yes, I'm a week away from graduating with my master's in early childhood education. And I, you know what I'm really ready for is not having homework. I'm really ready for that. I'm ready for it. I'm so grateful that you, again, were able to record this with me when you're obviously managing busy toddler, your family, and then also your master's. So (laughs) this was a long time coming, but no, I don't blame you at all for having to reschedule (laughs) and me, you know, trying to find something that works. So again, thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. So tell me more about yourself and why you started Busy Toddler and the resources you started. What was something that you were seeing that was lacking in the social media space or educational space surrounding playtime and development? So I am truly like the old lady on Instagram. I started my account back in 2015, like just so long ago. I started my account. My kids at the time were, my oldest had just turned two and then my middle daughter at the time was five months old. And I just felt I was drowning in early motherhood. And I was having this feeling like, am I the only person who's ever gone through this? Which of course I wasn't, but it can feel so isolating. It can feel like that when you're slugging through those trenches. And what was helping me to get things done each day was to figure out little short activities that I could set up for my son. And they became this incredible tool that I was using to connect with him, but also to be able to get my jobs done, to be able to take a break, to reset moods. And I started to wonder, could other people use this? Could this help other families the way that it's been helping us in this kind of early phase in this very, you know, this phase that we're in. And 
I opened up Instagram one day, which is where I was kind of hanging out at the time. And I was like, gosh, I wonder if anybody else is sharing little activities for kids. And there wasn't. There wasn't anybody yeah. else sharing really easy stuff that you could do with things around your house that you didn't have to run out to Michael's or Hobby Lobby and spend like $500 to get something that maybe they'll play with for 15 seconds. And so I just started throwing together things I had around the house and posting them online. I grabbed the name Busy Toddler and I thought, this will work. And, you know, it, it has worked. It sure has worked. And Amazing. It evolved from being just kind of me sharing activities that were working with my kids into me sharing education tips and play research and parenting tips and all sorts of parts of motherhood and parenting that have really helped and impacted our family and seeing if maybe they can help and impact other families in a positive way. And you know, you're not an old lady of Instagram. You are a trailblazer. <laughs> trailblazer. Yes. I'll, I'll use that for now on a sitting. I love it. No, I know. I, I hear you. I, it's so funny because, yeah. yes, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more accounts now doing um, stuff like education and play and all of that, but you are a pioneer. And I, again, you were actually one of the big accounts I started following when I joined social. I joined oh my gosh, in 2019, uh, 2018. I apologize. So three years after you, but a lot of accounts were created in the pandemic. Yeah. You know that. Um, but I loved following you and I still love following you because I learned so much, even though we're not doing the exact same thing. Like I learned about social media just by watching other people do their thing on social media. Yeah. Um, so thank you. I mean, not only oh, just nice. um, connecting with someone who is like-minded in philosophy, it's always cool when that happens, but I'm totally open to connecting with people who don't share my philosophy, <laughs> but also just like your general approach to parenting and, um, just the, again, the kindness that you have, it like, it's very obvious when I'm following you that you are who you are in real life also. I don't know if oh, that makes sense. No, it does. When I meet people out in public, that is generally what people say, which makes me feel good because yes. I know I'm presenting myself the right way. They say, you're exactly who you are. And I say, yeah, I know. I, I don't know how I could be any different. I, well, you know, I'm not a good I'm, actor, so I don't think I could pretend to be not me. I'm going to be so honest that I, it's not always the case, right? I mean, right. I know social media, people who are on social media um, that I'm like, I know them in real life. And then I also know them on their social. And I'm like, mm, there's some discrepancy here. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that because that's an authentic self. And obviously this being on social is not easy by any means, um, especially sharing your family and all the stuff that we share on social. But again, thank you for what you're doing. Um, and also all the resources you have. I mean, it's not only, yeah, not only is it the things that I learned from your Instagram, but also your book, the playing preschool, which Again, describe what the playing preschool is again, because my son's not yet in that age, but it's something that obviously I'm probably going to end up meeting. <laughs> yeah. So back in uh, 2017, I was yeah. so discouraged by the rising costs of preschool and how much that was going to cost a family like mine. I have three kids. And so multiple years of preschool, and we're talking moderately priced preschool in an area that I live, was going to end up costing our family about $30,000 by the <gasps> end of it. Yeah, and Wow. I couldn't fathom that amount. And I thought there has to be a way that we can empower parents and caregivers to be taking on the role of education at their home if that's something that they feel like they're capable of doing or, or have a passion to do or financially like we were facing. It was not in the cards to do these multiple years. And so I used my kids as guinea pigs and I wrote out a full preschool program. And it's 190 days of home learning, play-based, hands-on, my style of learning where it's very easy, breezy stuff around the house. It's not heavy. There's no worksheet. It takes 45 minutes to an hour a day and you can do it with a baby on your hip, which I proved when, I was, writing, when I was writing it. And I finished writing the first year and we launched it on the website 
And immediately I started writing the second year of the program because I knew there were families that were going to want a multiple year experience of preschool at home. And some families use it solely as their preschool option. Some families use it as something to do before they send their child to preschool. And some use it as their window into whether or not their family wants to homeschool. And so it's kind of taken on all these different facets. And then, of course, mid-March hits 2020. And I was so blessed to have this program that so many families could then access and use. And it really was just such a joy to see it spread at that point and be able to help in a time when we needed so much help. Well, that is some pretty strong divine timing that you created something, you know, we would have never even anticipated that the pandemic would happen when you created this preschool. And I was just going to say, because I didn't remember when you launched that. And the fact that you launched it before the pandemic goes to show you just, you knew that this is a resource and yes, people really needed it in the pandemic because a lot of people didn't send their kid, you know, to preschool. What age group is it? It's for ages two and a half to five years old. So it's a really broad age range. Yeah, Yeah, it's a really broad age range. And I did that on purpose because so often we get tied down into kind of workbooks, yes and no answers with kids. And in education, we call that closed learning where there's really only one answer and, you know, we find it in the back of the book. But this is instead an open-ended program where you're asking really broad questions that can be answered differently at two and a half than they're going to be answered at five years old. And they're going to attack a problem or attack some thinking or an activity in a different way, but it works for all those ages. It just opens itself up to multiple kids, multi-age learning in a family, or a broad range, depending on when your child is ready to start it. Love it. And we are going to start talking about the misconception about playtime, but if you all are curious why I'm talking to Susie so much, like I've been waiting for this conversation (laughs) for so long just to talk to her about her, her life, all of that. Um, And I'm sure you all are too, because you may likely follow her as well. So you are getting your master's and you were working as a teacher. What level were you teaching? I was teaching kindergarten and first grade before I left. So would you say most of your ideas, like all the things that you come up with, the play ideas, all of that, was that from your training or is that also just a mix of being a mom that you were able to come up with these ideas and the curriculum and all of that? Um, Was it a mix of both? It was really all driven from my years in education. I look back now at what I was able to accomplish in my time as a teacher and I see all of that reflected in Busy Toddler, in my parenting, and you know, in the way that I wrote playing preschool, and just my general philosophies on how children learn and how we can support them as adults was so formed and so wrapped in the way that I was taught. My mom was a teacher, so it's partly how I was raised. I was kind of always raised student teaching. I, I joke about that. I'm like, oh, I've been student teaching since I was like nine years old. And so by the time I got my own classroom, I felt like a seasoned veteran, even though I was stepping into that role yeah. for the very first time, because my mom had prepared me so well to take on kind of the legacy that she was had in the classroom. She's a phenomenal teacher. And so I really was taught this very different approach to how children learn and how we can best support them. And I thank my mom so much for that gift that she gave me of all these decades of training, because then when I was able to step into teaching and then eventually step into Busy Toddler and write Playing Preschool, it's like everything that I've been working for came together. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Artube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs 
and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. One nice little bow. I did. And you know what I have to say, and I know people who follow me or listen to me know that I'm very passionate about early childhood education. Although I'm not a teacher or educator, obviously as a pediatrician, it's very important to me. Um, So I also believe that the teachers and anyone in education is very under supported in terms of time, finances, anyone mm-hmm. who works with children in general doesn't yeah. get the resources they deserve. In my opinion, I'm just so excited for you that <laughs> you have this platform where you can gain this. I know you're not looking for notoriety and none of us do this for notor- notoriety, hopefully, but I'm just very happy that your voice is out there because you deserve it. Like you really have done something really great with your education because you went into this wanting to help people. And that is awesome because it comes out that way. Like it's very obvious that you truly care about children and about their education and also about making parents not feel stressed about all of it, you know, because I think that's what happens is that parents feel like I need to be doing X, Y, and Z. And everyone's always creating these activities, but I've never once felt from you, Susie, that like when I'm looking at your page, I never get this vibe that, Oh, here's another activity that she's doing. Like, great. Like, No, I look at it as like, wow, that's such a great idea. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Um, And I hope people are consuming your information that way too, that this is awesome information. Do it if you want and take the stress out of play. Like that's kind of what we want to do for you all in this episode too. Yeah. I think the big thing I wanted with my Instagram account when I started it was I just wanted to help families to feel confident and to feel comfortable in this role. The role of parenting can often be portrayed so negatively. And I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna or any sort of toxic positivity, but there is a joy in this and that has gotten so lost. And a lot of it gets lost in our lack of confidence and in a guilt that has kind of become something that's so normalized on social media is this feeling of guilt that is there with parenting. And then it's a guilt that just doesn't need to be there. And so I want to actively work to help parents find that confidence and find their voice and find their best path. And that might not be the same as my path, but what I want to do is just share a path that is flexible 
and that you can look at and go, yeah, this could work for my family or even more so go, no, that would never work for my family. But at least you've identified what won't work. And that is often a great thing. Or you might look at something I do and say, you know what? I think this could work. I'm going to tweak it this way. No different than the way you would tweak a recipe to make it fit for your family just the right way. I want people to be able to see the things that I share and be able to find the right ingredients to make that something that's palatable to their family. Oh, I love that. And, you know, starting off with these misconceptions. So I know you share a lot of them on your social media. Um, What would you say is one that you really want to talk about first? Um, Something that you feel is just constantly either on social media or, you know, you were a teacher or even just in your social circle that you want to squash first off? I think the big one I want to squash first off is that you don't need to play with your child all day long. Mm -hmm. There is this major misconception that's happened within, and it's evolved over the last 20 years in parenting, that the role of parenting is to entertain the child and that we are to be at the child's every you know beck and call and at their every whim. And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing a great job parenting. And that isn't the case. And it actually is causing issues on both sides, on the parenting side and on the child side. On the child side, when children play without an adult, that is the best kind of play that a child can do. And so when you look at a child and you see that child either playing alone or with other children, but there isn't an adult presence actively playing with them, those kids, that child is doing the most important work that they can be doing. That is the highest level of developmental work. That is the most their body can put in at this time. And they are doing everything that they absolutely need to be doing. And then on the flip side, when we look at adults and we see adults foregoing their lunch because they need to play with their child or skipping showers or skipping their work or skipping chores around the house, and then this burden and this mountain and this pile of life ends up on their shoulders to accomplish after the child goes to bed with then no time left for them to just sit down and decompress, that's also not healthy for the parent. So what I really want to work on with parents and caregivers today is this understanding that we need to turn back the clock on play. And we need to look back at play when we were children and especially when our parents were children. What did play look like in those households? Was the parent actively sitting down playing with the child all day long or were they getting other things done, letting the children play, letting the children have their space. And I think a sub-misconception of this is then that the parent is never engaging and never connecting with the child. And that goes with this idea that play is the only way that we can engage with children and play is the only way that we can build a relationship with a child. And that's so far from the truth. We can engage with our children and connect with them and show them our love over board games and puzzles and books and walks and talks and sitting on the floor and chit-chatting and drawing a picture in a book. It is not exclusive to play. And when we instead invest all of our time in making sure our kids aren't bored, that they're entertained, that we're present with them, you know, looking right at them and and involved in their every bit of their lives— that really takes away from their development as a person and it takes away from our development as a person. And I love when you talk about our childhood because when I look at parenting and education and advice, I do think about things from an evolutionary perspective. Mm-hmm. And I also think about things from um, also our childhood with before tech, before things got a little crazy. I think our generation of parenting has made things more stressful for ourselves because of the comparison on social, because of the over-information, I always talk about with my mom, like, mom, why do you think our generation is more stressed? She's like, it's in your hand. It's your cell phone. And I'm like, no, I hear you. I think cell phones can cause more stress for parents too, that you feel like you're not doing enough when you're actually doing all you need to do. 
And that concept of just letting them be and letting them kind of play for themselves is huge. And yet I think so much of us have forgotten that. Like I vividly remember, and I'm sure you can, when you were younger, all the kids just getting together in like a big room and just figuring out what was going to happen. There was no, no one was scheduling anything for us. There was no parents saying, okay, guys, here's the toys. Literally we'd come up with like little ice skating on like our, the floor of our garage. Like we do like little productions. There would be a, a team that would like vote on like who was the best fake ice skater. We would create things like, so the creativity was there through boredom. And also just the understanding that you got to figure it out kind of on your own sometimes. And the parent's going to be there. I think we forget that you're not going anywhere if you're allowing your child some independent playtime or if you're not playing with your child all day long. You're there for them, like you said, in other ways. But they learn through that the moments that they're alone, meaning you're nearby cooking dinner or you just sitting with them. Like They learn so much troubleshooting and so much creativity through the process of playing on their own with you nearby. You know, It's so fascinating. It really is fascinating. And I think what um, a quote that almost gets overused on social media, it's from a philosopher a hundred years ago, Jean Piaget. And it's the very simple phrase, play is the work of childhood. Mm-hmm. And we see this kind of smattered everywhere as a reminder that children need to be playing. And this kind of harkens back, especially in the last 10 years, as academic learning in early childhood has become this big push. And so then the pushback was, well, they don't, you know, maybe necessarily need all this academic learning. What they really need is play and play is the work of childhood. And we hear this over and over again. And what I constantly want to keep adding to that sentence is, but not the work of adulthood. Yeah. Play is the work of childhood, but not the work of adulthood. And somehow we have decided and taken it upon ourselves to be these play facilitators with our children. And it does come at a cost to both our development and their development because we're just not letting them have that space and that time. And I think one of the big misconceptions that parents have is that, well, my child doesn't play well on their own. So then what other choice do I have? And I hear that. I hear that. If your child doesn't play well on their own, it is a struggle. I have two children that came out of me knowing exactly how to self-entertain. I have one who would like to reattach his umbilical cord. (laughs) That's his ideal. Yes. Like, birth was traumatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, birth was hard for him because he had to leave me. Like, this is what he never would have chosen. Never would have chosen this. And it's hard when you have a child who doesn't play well on their own, because then you really do want to say, well, this is such a simple thing. Why can't you do this? So here, I'm just going to do it with you. And what that ends up doing is it gets us in this cycle. It's just kind of a, you know, one of those circular things where because the child doesn't know how to play, then we play with the child and then the child doesn't learn how to play. And then we're back to playing with the child and it just kind of keeps going. So we have to actively work to build this skill. And I think that's another big issue right now is that we think that play is something intrinsic in kids and it is to an extent, but it can be difficult in other kids in other situations, depending on the child's personality, depending on family structure, all sorts of different things can make independent play harder for some kids. So instead, what I like to encourage parents is to look at this like it's a marathon and We wouldn't say to our kids, well, we're going to run a marathon, so tomorrow we're going to do it. 26 miles, let's go. Mm -hmm. We would never do that. We know that's not going to work. So instead, we're going to build this skill, and we're going to build it together. And so the ways that we can do that with our kids are actually pretty simple. First, we're going to set a boundary. I'm not available for play. Here's what I'm going to be doing while you're playing. And you have work to do. I have an email I need to answer, or 
I'm taking this phone call or I'm unloading this dishwasher and you're going to go play. Mm -hmm. And if we can set this up at a really predictable point every day, if we can think about play with the same reverence that we give to sports and classes and clubs, if we can also give that same time commitment to a child's alone play time without an adult, that will be so beneficial. So perhaps for your family, it looks like after breakfast in the morning, that's when you're going to go off and play. And so you talk to your child about that. You're going to go off and play after breakfast. This is going to happen every single day. So there's nothing to be worried about or scared about. It's a totally normal part of your day. And while you're doing that, I'll be cleaning up the kitchen and, you know, getting lunches ready and this, that. And, you know, you can list off your jobs. Never be afraid to tell your children about all the hard work you're putting in to life and to making things run smoothly. Let them see your hard work and let them see what that looks like to build this home community. So we're going to schedule it. We're going to talk about it. And then we're going to start with five minutes. That's all we're going to start with. And you're going to set what's called a visual timer. And if you haven't seen a visual timer before, go online, Google it, head to Amazon. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's a timer for children where they can actually see it's a little red bar and it's going to start to shrink as the time goes down. And then the child can see because for kids, time is so abstract that five minutes might as well be five years. They have no idea. So let's take that stress away and let's make it five minutes that they can see. And then the second that five minutes is over, you'll hear the little beep. You'll come to them. Hey, our playtime right now is over, you know, and you can talk. Do you want to continue? I have more things I need to do. Maybe we read a book really quick, but you reconnect with the child and you get them centered again. Or you see that they're playing nicely and you back out of the room without interrupting them because that is always a joy to see when you come in after your set time and you're like, oh my gosh, they're really doing it. I'm just going to back away. Hope nobody saw me. (laughs) Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in 
your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you're going to really set this boundary. And it might mean that the first time you set this boundary that they lay in the hallway and wait for you like they're, you know, holding a little vigil waiting for you to get back there. And you know what? That's their decision. I can set the schedule and I can decide what we're going to do, but it's their responsibility to go off and play. And if what they want to do with their self-entertaining time is stare at the ceiling, then I have to bless and release that (laughs) That on them. So I think one of the things that I would challenge parents who are feeling this weight of, well, this is great that children need to be playing, but my child doesn't play well alone. Let's work on getting them to that point. Let's set a schedule. Let's start with five minutes. Let's set a timer. Let them know what your job is. And then maybe the most important, maintain that boundary. Once you've set it and said, I'm not available to play, you're not available to play. Do your job. They will figure out what their job is going to be, whether that's to play or to stare in the wall. And this will get easier. Just like any skill building gets easier in our adult lives, it can get, it will get easier in their child lives. And you will see that you'll start with five minutes and then 10, and then it will just start growing until you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, my child is really good at playing by themselves. Like I can really get stuff done. And I think the, biggest payoff is when you notice that your child is really playing by themselves and oh my gosh I did this like I led them through this skill but then also when you realize and I'm able to get things done and things are less stressful because of this and that's really where we're trying to get to this sort of promised land or so and that promised land it's possible and like you said Susie like I think one of the biggest things for parents when they're struggling with this is like where to even begin or there's a thought that it's just not going to work. My child, it won't work for my child, but you won't know until you try it. And you won't know until you, again, build into it because we're not asking for, like you said, like a five-hour play session because they're not going to do that even if you did all this. Um, But we're asking for five minutes. And I love the timer trick. And I just think it really is something that can work. Um, It's kind of like if your family chose to sleep train and you have to build up the time intervals, Mm -hmm. if you did that method, Um, similar concept, obviously it's a little different, but you have to kind of build up the time and then eventually they're going to surprise you. They will like, they'll surprise you and you'll be like, I want to actually talk about this misconception. Um, We'll lead into this. You'll be able to do your chores or whatever Mm -hmm. you need to do. And that's one thing that you have talked about on your um, platform a lot. And I completely agree is always, I think there's a big misconception that, Parents feel like they have to do all of the household stuff when their baby or child is sleeping, when you actually make it a point to do it when the child's awake. And I actually have done the same thing with Ryan since he was an infant. So I want to talk about that one next, because I think that's a really, really great one if parents haven't heard that, if they're listening to this episode. Yeah. So something I realized really early in my parenting was that I was so burnt out in the afternoon trying to shove, you know, an entire day's worth of chores into that afternoon nap block. Yeah. And then from that time, my child woke up from their nap until dinner time was like the worst time then because I was, again, so exhausted from all the work that I had just done all morning with them. And I was exhausted from the housework I'd done. And I was just burning the candle from both ends. And so I made a very conscious decision to start taking what I call a union break. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> instead of rushing myself ragged during nap time and now during rest time and quiet time, I just sit and I have my lunch in peace and I take my break and I recharge my batteries. 
And this gives me the energy and the oomph that I need to then make it through the rest of the day with my child and to be there and to to be more present because now I am fully recharged. I feel more like myself. I am ready to restart this time in our lives. So what I end up doing throughout the day is just kind of these five-minute chores or blitz cleans or when they're playing, I, I vacuum the floor really quick or, you know, I wipe down the bathroom after I leave or I'm quickly wiping down a countertop and, and I don't save all of that up for nap time. Instead, mm-hmm. I let my kids see me do this hard work. And that became the other part of this. Part number one was I needed a break. I needed a break in the same way that a worker gets a snack break and a lunch break and a bathroom break and a coffee break. I needed all of those breaks rolled up into one and I was going to take them at nap time from one thirty to 3. <laughs> and then the other thing was I realized my kids were not going to see me working hard on this house. They weren't going to see all the work that went into keeping our family community, our home environment clean and safe and ready for the next adventure and activity. They weren't going to see all of that if I hid it from them and did it during nap time. And so instead, I made this really specific choice that I was going to do this in front of them, which they can be a part of. They can see how it goes. And they can also see the hard work that it takes when there is a really big mess. And then they can know what it takes to clean up something like that. And what a great opportunity for me to model this hard work and this dedication to our home space and this pride in the house that we have and the things that we have and the way that we take care of things. So while it was this decision to give myself a break and to honor the fact that I needed a break just as much as everybody else does in every other outside of the house job, it was also a chance to say, I want to make sure that they know what a hard worker I am and that they can see time management and responsibility and pride of ownership and all these things. And I'm looking back now, my kids, my son turns nine next week and he is a great cleaner. He knows how to pick up. He, you know, I was sick a couple weeks ago and he ran the vacuum downstairs. How nice is that? And and why? Because he knew how to do it because he'd seen me do it a bunch of times. And he knew, hey, usually in the morning, mom runs the vacuum on this, you know, area. So I'll do it really quick. And they understand because they've seen it because it isn't a mystery to them. There isn't a cleaning fairy that comes and resets the house every night while they're asleep or resets the house while they're at nap time. They get to see and they get to be part of it. And I think that's a really cool thing to let our kids in on. And I think it goes in line with all the other things that you already mentioned, like trying to foster independent play, you know, remembering that you don't need to play with your kids all day long. This is how you create time for yourself because during playtime, awake time, you're completing the tasks that are going to be done anyways in the home. And I agree with you. Like I still remember when Ryan was an infant, like one thing that we did is that I would always wash the dishes while he was still in his high chair. Like the high chair was on our island so he could see me. So he would just play after he was done eating and he would just look at me and we'd sing and laugh while I was doing dishes. So he could see that we eat and then we do dishes and it's all part of the whole production of what we do. And now he's part of it, right? He knows that this is our routine. You know, if you can't bring your kid to the island or where you're doing dishes or you don't have that setup, it's perfectly fine. But we normalized it from a very young age. And the other day, like, he spilled all this rice and I was trying to vacuum it up. And then the vacuum broke and he brought his toy vacuum. And he's like, mama, and we call, we call all of our appliances names. So our vacuum is Bernard. It's just a name that we made up. I love this. And so he calls him Nard and he's like, Nard, Nard broke. And I was like, yeah, Nard broke. 
because it just something happened. So he's like, Mama, Nard. So he goes to bring his play vacuum and he's trying to vacuum up the rice. And I'm like, I you're so sad. But it's just, to me, it's like, it's such an important thing. And I think it is a misconception that, you know, I think we were able to do that because one, I do value independent play. And I also value that, hey, when you're awake and your playtime, I'm going to get this stuff done. And you're going to either help me or watch me. And now that as they get older, they'll have the cognitive ability to start to help you and obviously the motor skills to be able to help you. Um, But as an infant, you're still exposing them to that concept. So don't think that you have to start this when you're three, your child's three, you can start the concept in infancy, like you did, like it, it definitely can help you. And then you gain time where during nap time, you can actually sit or maybe read or work on a podcast, which is what I used to do. Um, that way I was able to build my passion while he was napping it was something, I think a little trick that people don't realize. That's how I was, you were able to do all this. Stuff, oh my you know? gosh. Same. I've built all of busy toddler during nap times. All yeah. of it was built during nap times. There was people would ask like, Oh, well do you, you know, when you're working or something, I said, well, the kids aren't really that aware at that early age of what I was actually doing because <laughs> I would do it when they were sleeping. But that was like my hobby, the same way that someone might sit down on the couch and knit or cross stitch or, you know, journal or read a book. For me, it was making pin images and editing, <laughs> editing blog posts. <laughs> I love these misconceptions. What would be one final misconception? I know there's probably plenty that we can go over. But what would be one final one that you'd want to share today? I think another big one that is such a misconception is that we need to be coming up with these elaborate play ideas oh, for our yes. kids. And, and I know that here I am like the activities <laughs> account lady and I'm saying, you know what, you really don't need to do. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to say. Activities are a tool. And the way that I've always treated activities at my house is that this is a tool to help my kids and to help our family. It's not necessarily something that we need every single day. There are many days that go by that I don't need to use an activity for my kids. Of course, I post them on Instagram all the time because I know that someone else is having a day where they probably need an activity as a tool. But what I really want to challenge people to think about is that these activities, these are a tool. This is a way to reset. If the day is long, if things aren't going well, if one child is fighting with another, if someone can't find their play, if you are needing a break, if just it isn't flowing right, grab an activity. That's the whole reason I started doing these. I grabbed these as a tool to help my parenting, not as an expectation or yet another thing to weigh down on me as though if I don't do this, my child won't go to Harvard. That's not what these play ideas are at all. These activities are a way to just hit the reset button and nine times out of 10, maybe even more than that, 9.9 times out of 10, if my children are having a rough morning and I decide to set up a little activity for them, they leave that activity ready for independent play and ready to go play. Something about it just resets their brain. I don't spend long putting these together. You never want to spend more than a couple minutes. You never want to spend a ton of money on play ideas if you're seeing that this activity is going to cost a ton of money to set up or a ton of work to put together. That is not the right activity for you. Skip it. But really, instead, just look at these activities as yet another thing that you can put in your toolbox to help your child find their play. So if you have a morning where your kids really, really, really are struggling to get that independent play down and you just really need a break and you need something, instead of giving up or just being frustrated and tossing in the towel in the day, try an activity. My favorites are always bathtub activities. Put them in the tub, add a bunch of Legos. Put them in the tub, add a bunch of blocks. Put them in the tub, add a bunch of pom-pom balls. And they come out of that experience reset and ready to go and ready to find their play. They've gotten this connection with you. They've gotten their buckets filled. 
And they're just so much more ready to take on on the hard work that they have to do that day, which is, of course, their play. And I think, oh, I love it because I think one of the reasons why I think parents get bogged down with the overwhelming of all the activities is some accounts, not yours, okay? Some accounts <laughs> talk about the activities related to a milestone, like a developmental milestone. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, I think that's wonderful because I also love teaching about milestones, okay? Don't get me wrong. And I think it's important. But when you start to group, okay, do this activity to reach this outcome, then you've kind of lost the joy of being in the moment because you're trying to reach an outcome and you're having an expectation that, okay, I'm going to do this so that my child starts to roll or my child starts to reach for this object or my child starts to say these words. And that's important. Don't get me wrong. We want to reach milestones, but every kid is different. And also Mm -hmm. it's not so much as like you do that activity and the next day the child's going to talk or walk or do whatever, Right. right? So I love that you know, when we are looking at activities, everyone, like, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, because I do teach about milestones and talk about activities, but you have to remember to the reason you're playing with your kid. The reason Mm -hmm. is not to reach an outcome of they're going to go to Harvard or they're going to do this, or they're going to walk. It should be to foster, like you said, a tool of interaction and you're going to foster their development just from even the social and emotional is a type of interaction, right? From being with you cognitive from playing alone. Like you're not always going to reach a visual outcome or an auditory outcome. Like I think a lot of parents end up trying to look for, um, but it's all a big picture here. And I'm sure you agree that sometimes we get bogged down in that sort of expectation outcome. Okay. I checked this box. Now my kid is doing this and writing their letters and doing this. And then I succeeded, but no, like, did you enjoy it? (laughs) Like, did you actually enjoy the process and the learning for everyone involved, you know? Exactly. I think so often in early childhood, especially, we look at things as a product instead of the process. And we get really invested in kids meeting certain goals and certain benchmarks at certain times. And instead, what we need to remember is that learning and what we're on right now is a journey. And what's happening on this journey and what's happening with our kids that's where the good stuff is happening. We're not out here trying to find some end goal and trying to, you know, meet some end mark. We're we're living and we're teaching them to learn and to think and and to be and to create and we need to give them that space to do that without our own preconceived ideas of what the end goal should be. And so if we can kind of reframe our parenting and take a step back and say, you know, I don't necessarily want to do this so that you, you know, end up becoming, you know, the world's greatest athlete. I'm going to do this because this is so much fun and we need something fun right now and we need to take a break and we need to do this so that we have a reset button. I think we often look at everything we do in childhood as though it has to meet some goal. Yeah. And Instead, we miss out on so much of the joy that is childhood because we're constantly looking for an explanation as to why we should bother doing that. And instead, everything in childhood is worthy and everything is so beautiful and so amazing. And we lose out on so much of that when we're constantly trying to justify or explain why. It's okay for us to just do things for fun or to just do things because we need it to or because that's what's going to help our morning. It doesn't have to always be about the end product with kids. The process of childhood is so beautiful. And, you know, my final question has a lot to do with what you just mentioned, but also what we alluded to earlier about your mindset. Like, I agree that you, you know, you're not toxic positivity. And the final question I have is I like to surprise my guests with what is your parenting high 
like if you can think of like a parenting high you've had and what is your parenting low. The reason I like to do this is that it really shows the beauty that is parenting, that there's going to be great moments and not so great moments, but that we can really learn from the not so great moments. So share, if you will, what your parenting high and parenting low has been so far. So I would say one of the highest moments for my parenting, um, and I actually wrote about this in my book. Um, so I'm like not trying to do a shameless plug, but this is part of my book. It was this moment when my kids were 15 months old and, oh gosh, two and a half. It's getting fuzzy now and four. And we had gone out for ice cream and I it was very impromptu and I set them down and, you know, we got this ice cream and we, I put it on the table at this uh, ice cream place near our house and I handed it to each kid and they all sat there and they started eating. And I know this sounds so simple, but as I stepped back to kind of take this picture to send to my husband, I was so struck by how far we'd come in a year because I remembered a year before we had tried to get ice cream and it was such a disaster (laughs) that I swore I would never be able to get ice cream with three kids on my own again, ever. And I never would have done it. And instead, here we were out by ourselves getting ice cream, which is not easy to eat with three kids. I was even having an ice cream cone and everything was fine. No one dropped their ice cream, nothing fell. And it was just this weight of this moment. And My husband's uncle had told us probably the best parenting advice we were given when we first became parents. And he said, you know, it's all a phase and Mm -hmm. everything kind of writes itself or you figure out a way through it or you figure out your best path. And that was that moment for me of realizing we had gotten through this phase of not being able to go get ice cream. And I know that sounds so simple. It's ice cream. But it meant something. Yeah. It stayed with me for years and years now that this beautiful moment of realizing how far the kids had come as children and how far I had come as a parent, that I was able to handle this and I was able to juggle and to better understand their personalities and their needs and to meet them. And it was just such a great moment for me. That was just I one of those love that. absolute highs for me. Aww. And I think on the flip side of that, one of the lowest days I had just had my daughter. She was a month old and I'm stuck at home with a 21 month old, a one month old, a C-section that was not healing the way I wanted it to heal. And I was so broken that day. And I wanted desperately to wrap her and to try to figure out how to wear her in a ring sling because I thought this is going to be the way that I'll be able to manage having a 21 month old and a one month Mm -hmm. old. And and I'm going to figure this out. And I couldn't. And I got so frustrated and so angry at myself. And I sat on the top of the steps and I just sobbed. And I'm holding this newborn baby and I'm just sobbing openly. And my son, who was 21 months old at the time, heard me and came over and he just rested his head on my back and he just said, it will be fine. It will be fine. And it it did end up fine. Yeah. My gosh, what a moment to just sit there and to realize I'm I'm having a 21-month-old comfort me. And I just felt... Like nothing was ever going to really truly be fine again. And instead, what it meant was it was just going to be a new fine and a new different. And I had to release expectations of what I thought being a second time mom was going to look like. And I had to release expectations of what raising a toddler was now going to look like. I had a newborn. And it was just sitting there and having that moment of release, but also just acknowledging all those feelings of that moment and sitting there with those two children knowing we were going to move forward, we're going to get there, but it is going to be hard and hard is okay. And that was really what I had to 
admit to myself at that point. I love ending these episodes with that question because again, it's like people come for the title, but then they get these amazing <laughs> stories from my guests that humanizes them because we are all human. And we like are. I said, Susie, I just love and resonate with you because you do share this mindset on life that it's hard. It's amazing. And you even mentioned like, you know, just trying to kind of roll with the punches a little bit, but that doesn't take away the fact that there's going to be grief and trauma and other things. It just is, Hey, I'm going to run with it and learn from it. And I resonate so much with that mentality. Where can everyone find you if they don't know you already? I'm assuming they do, but where can everyone find you? And I'm going to link it all to my show notes. Oh, fabulous. So you can find me on Instagram at busy toddler or on my website, which is busy Amazing. And again, it was just such a pleasure talking to you. Everyone has to follow busy toddler. <laughs> um, again, she has amazing resources, her book as well. And just, again, you need to follow, even if you're not in this phase, like you have older children just to get her energy into your life. Like I'm very vibey and I said from the <laughs> beginning that I think this is so important that you surround yourself on social and in real life with people who are uplifting and Susie is that person um, sharing the ups and downs of parenthood. Um, and again, I really appreciate you for all that you do. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Peds Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Peds Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more.